Hello and welcome to the Wild Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Telkish, and we will be exploring interesting and hopeful stories that bring us closer to our own inner wild. Welcome to this episode, Community Resilience and Cabbages. My guest today is Mary Iodele. This is a special mini series that I've created to document and record the voices of herbalists and holistic healers that are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic that has just emerged at the time of this taping. So I wanna introduce you to Mary. She is very important in my life. I always turn to her when I have a big question, authoritative and solid voice, full of wisdom. She is a prophetess, community herbalist, educator, and cultural preservationist in Houston, Texas. She's lived between Africa and Texas for long periods of time, and she's the foundress of the Institute of Africana Cosmology, and she shares the significant cultural and spiritual importance of plants in the African traditional and diasporic religions and their kinship to Native American ethnobotany. She teaches about the healing wisdom of Africana people worldwide in workshops, lectures, and apprenticeships. And you can see her work at africanacosmology.com, and she is somebody that takes on clients. So if you are inclined, you can go to her for help right now. She is someone who is very much open to taking on new clients. Her information will be shared in the show notes and you can find her at her website. I mentioned the africanacosmology.com and she's also got a, she has Rose of Sharon on Facebook. Welcome, Mary. It's so good to have you here. Thank you for having me, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. Mary, will you give us a little bit of background about you, like how you work and the kinds of things that you offer to folks so people can kind of understand your perspective a little bit? Sure. I'm a prophetess based in the eternal sacred order of cherubim and seraphim church, and that is an indigenous form of Christianity out of Nigeria. Uh I have an extensive background in other African traditional cultural societies that I've been initiated in prior to this walk I'm walking now. I work with my community as a prophetess. So people contact me for help with living their lives in connection with spirit. This is not a linear process. So it's not as if they separate, for example, how to heal their bodies from how to deal with work issues. It's more of a holistic process to use the words we use here, meaning deal with people who are having babies. I work as a doula when some of my um, spiritual community members are having babies, I'm there. And I'm also around when they're facing court cases or when they're looking for new homes. I am a go-to person in my community by the grace of God to help them navigate life. And part of that navigation involves plants and how to work with plants to 
help to sustain us. One of the reasons I brought you onto the show is I wanted to just get your opinion. I always think of you whenever I there's a big event that comes up or any kind of big overarching questions. I always think you're you come up because to me you have a really solid kind of way of approaching big things. I wanted to know what you felt about this latest virus pandemic that is now out there, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and how you felt about it yourself on a personal level or on a community level. Great question. Thank you for asking that. For several years, myself and other people who operate in communities in a similar role as I play have felt something coming. And it was more than a feeling of disquiet. It wasn't just that. Um, People who seek the face of God in the ways of their traditions, you know, people who uh, go through ceremony to access the divine or people who use other tools have all known, either intuitively through visions or what have you, that something was coming. The question was, what was it? And when you walk in the world as a spiritualist, and by that I mean someone who honors spirit in all creatures, you know, you honor that everything has spirit, you you don't necessarily look in one direction for this thing. You just know it's coming. It's almost like a warning system, not to feed fear, but you can prepare and help others prepare because that's kind of your role in the community as ordained by spirit. So let me say that differently. Most people who do what I do don't choose to do it. We're kind of chosen to do this in whatever capacity we're doing it, be it herbalist or what have you. That said, most folks knew something was coming. And so here it is. Now, prior to the beginning of every Gregorian calendar year, which begins for most folk in January and ends in December, I go into a quiet spot and seek the face of God to see what God wants to reveal to me, or I should say what spirit, what the most high wants to reveal to me that I can reveal to others to help us get through the year. And in 2020, it was a decade revelation, more so than just January through December only, and that revelation was the the clarity about these next 10 years are going to they're going to require some fortitude they're going to require focus it's almost as if whatever we've done in the past three to four years where we may have had a little temper tantrum as a community maybe even personally over things we didn't like that was to get that out so we can step into 2020 through 2030 a lot more focused and firmer When I heard about the coronavirus, I said, okay, you know, here we are. I didn't know it was going to be a virus that we would face. However, I have been made to understand we're going to face lots of things. And the way we face this can be seen as an opportunity to prepare us to handle whatever comes next. Um, The way I'm trained through my life is we don't anticipate what the problem is, but we focus more on what we need to develop and sustain in ourselves to face whatever's coming. So it's 
a very different approach than cause and effect. Right. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely. Clear? Yes, yes, yes. Corona is one thing. I think it's important that we recognize that it's not going to be the only thing and that we're all strong enough, even though we may be getting messages that we're not sometimes. However, history has shown we're strong enough to face whatever's coming with the resources we already have. And I think that's going to be a very key point to move through these next 10 years that we're going to get back to what we used to call make and do. You're going to work with what you have to get through whatever you're facing. I think it's in our recent ancestral memory to do that. So we don't have to dig back 5,000 years to figure it out. This is something that people were doing 50 years ago and definitely 60 and 70 years ago. Many of those people still walk amongst us, actually. So we don't have to dig way, way back and go on an archaeological expedition. We can really just kind of close our eyes and plug into it. And, and that memory is so recent, I believe we can access it, um, even using some of the, the digital tools we have now. So it, it shouldn't be inaccessible. I think what we're going to face is people forgetting or having been forced into an amnesia of how to act on that information. One thing I'm extremely humbled by, and I'm thankful to see, I'm, I have a lot of gratitude watching this unfold, is people understanding that they can't wait on the cavalry, that they are going to need to figure something out for themselves. Lots of people who are already leaders who've kind of been feeling like they've been kind of tied down by paperwork or bureaucracy have found a freedom of movement that they've just been waiting to pounce on. And many people are doing a great job of dealing with preparing for whatever is coming. Other people have fallen into a cultural coma of ineptitude, which isn't true. They've been, you know, kind of forced to go to sleep, you know. So many folk don't know that they have the ability to look over the next two weeks and figure out what to do. So we may have to encourage people to, I guess the old fashioned word, to step back, take back their power or something. And, and they may need to be told it's okay to self quarantine. You know, no one may be standing there to give them permission. And, and the reason I have gratitude for that is because watching many communities fall into cultural comas has been very disheartening, not just for me, but for many other people. And to see people who are already kind of ready to do something, to have something to prepare around that isn't a person or a culture or a race. I know, unfortunately, some people are trying to make it racial. However, it's a virus. And people have been able to take a deep breath and step up for themselves and their communities and even their companies and do the right thing. So I think what we may see in some circles as a lack of leadership could actually be the divine hand making room for people to step up on their own and remember who we are.
I, I think that that's something I didn't really think about, but to set examples and leadership about how to act right now and how to, how to lead. I mean, we need people to step up. I mean, we don't have a government that we can necessarily look to for much. And I don't really have much confidence that too much is going to come from there. But I thought about Hurricane Harvey when that went down and it was really, I was so proud of the community that came together to help each other out. And I think that's what I'm now thinking of since you said is that people really have an opportunity to do what's right and not just be scared. Indeed. And that's something I reflected on too, Hurricane Harvey and and historically the communities that did step up in tremendous ways here in the southern part of the U.S. or the southwestern part of the U.S. are communities that, how can I say, have since the Civil War many of these communities have been impacted and never quite regained whatever they had for many reasons that we basically know about historically. They've, you know, the South has been marginalized and kind of talked about and pushed aside as a kind of backwater, can't get it together. Right. However, having lived here now for a decent amount of time, I've found that the resilience um, of people in the South and their ability to reclaim this common human dignity in the face of a disaster is tremendous. And, and that this isn't something people just pull together when Hurricane Harvey happened. This is something that is ingrained in the soil down here in the air. People know how to get it together when they have to get it together. What I'm saying is that it shows a different kind of strength and a um, tremendous amount of fortitude to be able to stand up in the face of a catastrophe. And I expect many places down here to have pockets of people who are prepared to respond to really unpleasant situations. And, and I see it happening around me. Can you tell them where here is? I mean, I don't know if they realize the area that we're speaking of. No problem. I am in the Gulf of Mexico bioregion. Mm-hmm. I'm in Houston, Texas, which is impacted almost semi-monthly. I'm going to say every other month by some sort of water event. And unfortunately, the big events that make the news, like Hurricane Harvey, but flooding here has become just kind of like part of the weather, which is unfortunate. However, in this area here in Texas, I did finding people stepping up in some really creative and culturally supported ways in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm clear they have the support of their communities. So this isn't something they're just trying out for the first time because of coronavirus or, you know, COVID-19. This is something that they've been practicing for many, many years. There's a lot of hope. So how do we, as a community, join together, whether it's spiritually or how do we do stuff when it, we can't really come together in in real life? If we're going to have to do this online or organize, how do you think we should move forward with that? That's such an interesting conundrum. I mean, I always know community building to mean us getting together <laughs> to do things. So, I think that's a great question. And I think we can draw from semi-recent history. We can look back about 100 and 
50 odd years, maybe I'm a little off, maybe they're 160, 70 years. And, and what I'm thinking of in an American sense, speaking to our American audiences and people who know a little bit about American history, we could look at the Underground Railroad situation. Uh-huh. There was no internet. Many people could not read of any color. It wasn't just, you know, enslaved people, but reading was a premium. Newspapers cost money. There was a a variety of reasons why you would think, how could someone organize an underground railroad without telephones or the internet? Or even you all are probably too young, but on the old movies, they show these things called telegraph cables they would type out this little morse code thing on it they tap it out rather and then they would send messages that way there was none of that there was no electrical means of communication except if you count the printing press and we can go on and on it wasn't run by electricity what have you but the point is how did people organize hundreds of miles of transporting people along with food and and there were no fast food drive-throughs they couldn't go to wendy's so they had to carry something to eat or they had to figure it out on the road and there were stops along the way there were places to rest and they were actively being pursued not by drones or gps systems but they were human beings and they were using sometimes animals like dogs to smell and, and find these people so what is my point if someone like Harriet Tubman, who is well known and historically verified to have had a closed head injury. We know she had narcolepsy and we don't think she was stopping to get on Facebook to let people know when she was leaving. If she can do it and she had help, if they can organize that kind of network without any of the things that we just even complain about, I have no doubt that with the tools I'm holding in my hand, I'm speaking through a computer now, that we can come together and we can figure something out. We have more tools, we have more access to the tools, and we have more freedom of movement than many of our ancestors of any color had to -hmm. work with. So I believe we can do it. And I think the model we may want to look at to kind of get the wheels moving is the Underground Railroad model. How did they do it? Mm-hmm. We can copy that. And they were, again, moving people. We are in an area here in Houston where we do face hurricane season, not just Houston, but the whole Gulf Coast, uh, Gulf um, of Mexico area. And God forbid that we face the weather threat along with the pandemic virus threat. So at some point, we may actually have to move thousands of people out of here, right? while saying we can't get together in a room of over 250 people. And I think it's important that those of us who are having discussions like this start to wrap our minds around what that would look like. Do we wait until the Weather Channel says, oh, we, we, you know, it's going to land next Tuesday? Or do we start building little pockets of protection now, 100 or 200 miles north or west of Houston or New Orleans? I think those are the kind of things we need to think about because the weather isn't going to stop because there's a virus out. And if those two things converge and we're just kind of not knowing what to do, it could be something that we don't want to think about. 
very much. I didn't even put those two things together. And now that I have, that just blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> I just went, pew. <laughs> and I, now that you're saying that, I guess what I hear you when you say that is instead of us sitting here talking about the virus and what the virus could be doing, we should be talking about what we're going to do and how we can make things work for our communities if we need to move people, if we, what is, what are our choices and how are we going to, that's such a smart way to go with it is to actually change the conversation to how we're going to adapt. Cause we are the one thing about humans, we can be pretty crappy sometimes, but we can also mm -hmm. be pretty clever. I've, and that's the mm -hmm. part that is inspiring is that people have figured out a lot, like you said, with the Underground Railroad to be a, a really great example of that. I hear you, and, and I agree, and I think the conversation can be both and. It doesn't necessarily need to be either or. I think we do need to face this virus, what it may be saying to us, and, and we, we need to deal with it. You know, it's a lot like a pregnancy. If a woman is pregnant and about to go into labor, and there's a hurricane coming, you can't choose one over the other. Right. You know, the baby's <laughs> going to come out, but yet the hurricane's going to hit. We got to balance them both. I don't think we necessarily have to dump one for the other. And I think this is a primary time to practice nonlinear thinking, which I am a strong proponent of because I tend to think in a spiral way and I kind of dance around with my thoughts and and we can look at, okay, there's this virus. We know the history of our um, country and other countries in a similar position. So we have every reason to know and believe that this is probably not the last time we're going to see some sort of biotech expression moving through our communities, whatever that may be, be it obesity because of high fructose corn syrup or whatever it is, you know, that's just a different kind of pandemic, but stay with me here. So now we have this virus thing. Okay, cool. We got to deal with it. We need to, you know, share the recipes for um, Four Thieves Vinegar. I personally am reminding everyone under the age of 30, there was once a time we didn't have hand sanitizer. So honey, you don't have to worry about making that. Let's look at how to make soap. You know, we may have to just take it back to basics, right? And then we look at, hmm, since people who may be out of work for some time may need to go work online, we may need to set up our own computer com cyber cafes. When I lived in Seattle some time ago, and everybody wasn't really plugged into the internet that way, you could go to something called a cyber cafe and you would rent a computer for like two bucks an hour and sit there on the computer. Well, we know that economically a lot of people don't have computers, but we know a few people who do. So as we think about how to find this thing, we may need to look at how to put four of our computers in one person's apartment or three and invite people over to actually work on them so they can earn a living until they either get their own computer or maybe they never get their own computer. Maybe we all just chip in and create our own cyber cafe with a small group of people who have self-quarantined because mm. money is no longer by gold or silver, right? It's just 
sort of kind of imaginary. It's a blip on the screen. So they're going to get paid direct deposit anyway. My point is they can live their whole life just sitting in the quarantine, paying bills, and plotting a way out of it. And a lot of people won't be able to go back to work. And that may not be a bad thing. In the short term, it's going to be tough. But if we get together and put it together, those of us who have resources work with those people who have different kinds of resources, we can all come out of this with the kind of communal, or what do they call it, intentional housing options that many of us have dreamt of. And we don't have to be in the same building. We may just be sharing the same resources while following hygiene and safety things. Yeah, yeah it could work. But moving people out of these areas is going to be a big deal. And we do need to think about that. Like, how do we get 10,000 people out of Houston if we can't put 250 people together in the same room? Um, they stopped taking cash at the toll booths or something last week. A lot of people are, what do they call them, unbanked or not? They have a fancy word for people who don't have bank accounts now. Can't think of it. Uh, it's a strange word, but it basically means these people don't have bank accounts. They don't have plastic. We got to think about it and do something. So when you think of immunity, what does immunity mean to you? Um, and we can talk about physically and then maybe spiritually, but when you think of immunity in this case, like what, how do you have a strong immune system for your physical, spiritual, emotional bodies? That's a really good question. I would liken it, the best way to think of it, think of it as you would a physical immune system. And if someone is skating and scrapes their knee, you expect that scrape to heal in a certain amount of time. We recognize certain stages of healing. First is open, we clean it, we put some salve on it, some comfrey salve or what have you, whatever salve we have that we're using, right, calendula, what have you. And then we expect to see a scab. And then we expect the scab to fall off. And if that's not happening in 30 days' time, or if we see signs of infection, we know to take other steps. Unfortunately, many of us don't know that about the emotional stuff or spiritual stuff, or we know it, but we feel powerless to take the next steps. So I would define immunity as being able to take a scrape or a fall or a bump or even catch an emotional cold. But after some self-care, you're back on your feet. I think it's important not to swing to the extremes of linear thinking of either or, good, bad, evil, divine, whatever people swing from these, these pendulum swings where you're either so strong, nothing gets you down, or you're so weak, you can't get up there's a big in-between. Spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental immunity may be finding the balance between those extremes. It, it doesn't mean that a crying spell means you need to see a psychiatrist and get medication. Uh, just like having a sneeze or, or avoiding pollen at certain times of the year doesn't mean that you need to go and get portable oxygen. It may be your body or your mind or your spiritual connections are telling you something that requires more attention. So immunity is a dynamic state of balance between extremes and being able to maintain that balance, recognizing that that's what you're doing and recognizing when to shift it a little. It's not a static place that's fixed 
and that doesn't move to me. Do you have any recommendations besides us starting to enhance the conversation to include moving forward through the next, you know, six months or a year, but also just in general, when it comes to everyday life, do you have any regular sorts of recommendations for people that are listening that they would help them right now? They're getting scared or panicked or don't know where to start. Yes, I do. Thank you for asking. One, I would say pretend like the only store you have is the dollar store. And, and if I may say what I mean by that, many of us have a whole lot of choices especially with transportation, and we can go to and fro. But imagine if all you could do was get to the dollar store. What would your life look like? And the reason I'm saying that is it's important to simplify. It's important to maybe choose and only go to one store to get the items you need. Even better to choose to shop from one store and have that store deliver it to you. If you have neighbors who don't have credit cards or debit cards or don't understand PayPal or think it's, you know, the, the matrix or what have you. Combine resources with people who are not plugged into the digital age. And when you order delivery from what wherever you deliver it from, make sure that you include them. So they don't have to leave the house and you would get the next step, I would say, is always get some cash and keep it in your pocket. So if you're plugged into plastic and your neighbor isn't, you take the cash, you order, you give them theirs, you keep the cash. Because at some point, if the ATMs are too far away or the money's gone, whatever the, the drama is around, you know, the money thing in the culture is just a money thing. You want something you can use to get yourself from point A to point B and to get the things you need. So imagine if you had to shop at the dollar store means if you had to go to just one store, which one would it be? Go there and figure it out if you can or have it delivered to you. And by the way, Dollar Tree does deliver to your house. I don't know if people know that, but if you really are doing the dollar store, you don't have to go. I think it's $4.95 for them to bring things to you. That's number one. Wow. Uh, number two, start, get some seeds. And I said dollar store because what I was thinking of, I've tried this experiment myself, so I'm not experimenting without doing it at home first, right? Dollar Store has plenty of seeds and really interesting gardening supplies. Get yourself some seeds of things that will uh, germinate and be fully ripe or grown within 45 days. And that's kind of like radishes. The reason I'm saying that is you want to get used to growing something in a pot if it's in your windowsill or outside. This serves multiple, 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 multiple levels of health, not just because you can eat it, that's obvious, but spiritually and emotionally and mentally, you gotta be in touch with the earth. Even if that earth came out of a bag, you know, and it was $2 for 10 quarts of it, you really don't wanna let this thing get you caught up in the fact that you think food comes from the grocery store and if you can't get there, what are you gonna do? You gotta break trance. Even having a small plant in the house can make a tremendous amount of difference because many of us here in this area of the country, the um, Gulf of Mexico region, we're going to be facing tremendous heat within the next, normally it's now sort of kind of starting up, but it's unseasonably cool. 
But within the next 60 to 90 days, it's going to be what I call God's little oven. So you're going to be in the house a bit. And long story short, you want to get yourself some seeds and begin to grow something that's edible that you can tangibly put in your mouth and touch and feel from, like I say, about 45 days after you put it in. Um, the other thing you want to do is simplify your meals. So many of us enjoy a complex, wonderfully varied, flavorful palette of goodies that we can just get a little saffron, get a little curry. And today I'm going to do fusion. I'm going to do Thai. I love Thai, you know, whatever it is. But you know what? You may just need to break it down to a simple level. And all the fusion exciting meals that you are normally used to eating, you may have to just limit yourself to doing that maybe once or twice a year. And even better, if you hang out with me, I would tell you to learn how to cook it yourself, which, which is where <laughs> I'm going. But for right now, people are nervous and taking on Thai home cooking might be a little scary for some people. <laughs> so we'll put that on the back burner. But for now, simplify your meals. And the simplest thing to do is a protein source and definitely get leafy greens in your diet. Mm -hmm. um, if you can't do leafy, do cabbage, which leads me to the ancestral piece. Yeah. You want to kind of dig into your ancestral foods right now. If you don't know who your ancestors are or there's some trauma and disruption in your family line, that's understandable. It happens. However, we do have this digital world we live in. And if you have an inkling to think your people are, you dig in that Internet and you find yourself a recipe. And I can assure you that most cultures most, and I want to say all, but I can't say all, but most cultures are dealing with a cabbage somewhere in there. Cabbage, greens, doesn't have to be kale. Everyone, kale is wonderful and I like it. However, before folks were eating kale, they were eating turnip greens and mustard greens and collard greens and again, cabbage or what have you. And why am I saying that? The support of our ancestral foundations will be extremely important because that's what we're going to draw on to get through this. The people who babysat me, because we didn't do daycare when I was a little girl, had they were born in 1915. They lived through the Spanish flu successfully. They survived it very well. They also lived through World War II, which was another time of deprivation for some. And a whole lot of things went on. There were things that were rationed back then. They lived through Jim Crow. They lived through civil rights. They lived through not being able to shop at certain stores because of the color of their skin. And they survived and thrived. So whomever your ancestors are have faced some stuff. And if you're alive and listening to this, they faced it long enough to keep the seed going so you could be here. So you want to reach into your ancestral foundations reach into the foundations of spiritual ancestors. If you are a devotee of a spiritual practice, if you follow Yahshua the Christ, or Yeshua the Christ rather, or Buddha, whoever you follow, you dig into your spiritual roots and your spiritual ancestral foundations and you eat some of the foods that are associated with those foundations. And I can assure you, many of those foods will be very simple foods combinations rather so you want to make your diet simple save the complexity for later later could be a birthday or a holiday or what have you 
And for those people who think, that sounds like simplifying your life. Yeah, only it wasn't a movement. It was just how they lived. You want to simplify a lot of extraneous things. If you have eight different streaming services, you want to cut it out. Not just because of money, but you got to train your mind to think solidly and to be more peaceful. One reason my ancestors were successful, many of our ancestors, not just mine, were successful at overcoming these things was because they had and keeping that balance I talked about before. That immunity yeah. is like a dance that you do. In order to do your dance with balance and to maintain spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical immunity, you're going to want to simplify things a bit. The fewer things you're keeping up, the fewer balls that you're juggling in the air, the better you're going to be able to keep them up there or, you know, recover if one should drop. Simplify your beauty and personal products. It's amazing how many things people have in their lotions and hand lotions, whatever it is. Simplify it. Simplify. Simplify. And not because having too many things are bad. I'm not promoting that. I'm saying that the fewer things you're figuring out, the better you're going to be at it. Sure, at some point you may reintroduce a complexity of choices around inconsequential things in your life. But right now, the fewer things you're juggling, the better you're going to be able to sleep. Um, people who are furloughed or at home, let yourself sleep whenever you want to. I know if you're looking after the children, you have to work it out. But if you want to take a nap, take a nap. If you wake up at two in the morning, you want a journal, journal. Don't abuse yourself for being anxious. Don't tell yourself you shouldn't be anxious. Don't beat yourself up for beating yourself up. You got to have an outlet for these feelings. So if you want to journal, write poetry, do a modern dance in your living room at 1.30, if you're not disturbing or creating new problems for yourself, let your body reset its own clock. If you've been hopping up working two jobs or whatever, give your body a chance to settle into this new moment because actually this is like a reset button. A lot of people were running too fast and doing the best they can, but couldn't seem to make a lot of progress, working two, three jobs. You know, people were just living on the edge. And as scary as this is, it has set everybody down. Maybe it's time to sit down and really push your own reset button. Just let your body reset itself. Listen to the voices you couldn't hear when you were running around working two jobs, because you have to, and figure out how to act on your next step. Lastly, I know I said a lot, but lastly, I see so many people struggling and, and trying to get to the next thing or pay off the light bill or pay off the car insurance. You know, it's, it's a constant try and try and try and run, 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 pay, 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 mortgage, mortgage, mortgage. It's just, it's insanity out here sometimes. And you know there's something that you ought to do to get yourself out of this or even try to get out of it, but you simply don't have the energy or the time or the money or the babysitter or whatever to do it. Guess what? The reset button has been pushed. Whoever's listening to this may be off from work or whatever they're doing for the next week or two probably even more. This is not going to be over March 30th. This thing is going to linger for a minute. 
this is an opportunity for you to pull out that little voice in the back of your head that you didn't have time to read up on or whatever and take that deep breath and look at your feet and your hands and decide if you can take a step toward manifesting whatever it is. We probably won't get a chance like this again. Once we adjust to this kind of viral biotech experience, it'll just be, you know, God forgive me for saying it. It'll be like a school shooting. When they first started happening at the post office a few years ago, about 30 years ago, we were all shocked. Now it's like, oh, there's another one. Now people aren't trying to stop the shootings. They're trying to give the teachers guns. You know what I'm saying? This pandemic is like, oh, it's catching everybody's attention. But, you know, in 20 years, it'll be the thing that happened. But your life doesn't have to be the thing that happened. You can take this cultural reset moment and just sit quietly and really put some things together for yourself and make the move so you're not trapped in that hamster wheel as soon as they figure out how to plug us all into computers and force us to sit at our kitchen tables and work all day. Before we get there, you can start digging way out. This is why I always want to talk to you when big things are happening because it's making me really reevaluate some of the things that I've been thinking of and hopefully for our listeners too. And I think, you know, no matter when people are listening to this, I think the message that you're giving, whether it's another flood or God has forbid another pandemic or some other thing that's coming around, this is the same sort of approach, I would guess, that we would take no matter what it is. But you're right that in my life, I've never seen a time where we may be forced to actually stop everything we're doing and we are being forced to do it for the good of everybody really sit and reflect a little bit about how to move forward and so that is true we're in this this pause and it's it's one of those times where a lot of things can happen and we're taking it day by day but definitely not life as usual or business as usual. And I think the last time I can really see this having happened, I don't know if you think the closest I've ever seen this to was when 9-11 happened. Yes, I was thinking that too, yes. Mm-hmm. Like the whole country just paused for a second and everything shut down and everybody was questioning and there was a lot of panic and fear. But this is different because this isn't terrorists that came in and... and knocked down some buildings and we didn't know where they were going to hit next. This is, this is a very different type of thing. I don't know where it's going to go, but I do like the way that you're, you've gone with it. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me and allowing me to share my thoughts with the community that is going to be listening to this. And of course with you and uh, we will overcome this. We have done this before we have faced scourges and You know, we faced a lot as a country, even though we're in a young country here, and as communities of women and people of color and and all the other communities that may overlay and intersect within our lives, we faced so much with so little, and yet we persisted, as they say. So Uh we're not going to just persist. We're going to be fine. 
I thank goodness we're creating records of our experience through this medium. I don't know what the technology will look like in 100 years or 50 oh, years gosh. to hear this, you know, <laughs> being scary. But we're still creating a record so people understand the steps we're taking. We mm. can do this. And mm. we're ready to do it. We're ready for change. So I say, let's seize the opportunity and take a step toward that change. We can do this. We have all the tools we need. We just got to decide to do it. Thank you so much, Mary. Mary's interview made me look a little bit deeper into using cabbage. And I wanted to share with you some of the things that popped up when I started researching more about cabbage. And I thought it was kind of neat that no one really knows when exactly cabbage came into our use. This is something that you can see referred to around 4,000 years ago in China. So a lot of folks think that it originated from China. But there's even some thoughts that as a species, they were native to the Mediterranean. Who knows? You'll see that the West started using it about 3,000 years ago. And it's common food in Egypt, just around the turn of the current era and throughout ancient Greece and Rome, and it was actually considered a luxury food in Rome. Other writings show us that long ago, both the rich and the poor ate it all over the place, and it was something that there are a lot of folkloric and myths around. It was supposed to be an antidote for a hangover, and it was said to be in opposition or an insult to Dionysus, and so it worked against the grapevine. It was an Irish cure for a sore throat, and you would tie cabbage leaves around your throat. It's also in England, you'll see hot cabbage leaves for a swollen face, and sometimes you'll see that some of the old fairy tales, like Jack and the Beanstalk, they wonder if the beanstalk actually referred to a cabbage because cabbage would grow very tall and it, all of the plants like kale, collards, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi and sprouting broccoli, they're all actually the same Latin binomial brassica oleracea and we've just kind of shifted as gardeners the way they look and how they've emerged in our history. Some of the most popular ways to use them medicinally were for sinusitis, sore throats, colds, and flu throughout history. So I thought it was an appropriate plant to not just be eating for ancestral knowledge, but also because it's full of calcium, iron, magnesium, phosphorus, sulfur, silica, vitamins A, B, C, E, and K. It's full of antioxidants. And obviously you can see that it's been used to break up phlegm and congestion. So an excellent thing to be eating right now. This comes from Culpepper's Complete Herbal. The cabbage or colworts boiled gently in broth and eaten do open the body, but the second decoction doth bind the body. So it was believed that if you were to boil cabbage, the first liquid that came out would be more laxative. And then if you were to boil it again, the second liquid created would be more astringent or binding to tissues. So you could use it differently. Back to Culpepper. It helpeth those that are bitten by an adder 
and the decoction of the flowers bringeth down women's courses. Being taken with honey, it recovereth hoarseness or loss of the voice, and often eating of them well boiled helpeth those that are entering into a consumption. The pulp of the middle ribs of the colwort boiled in almond milk and made into an electuary with honey being taken often is very profitable for those that are pursy or short-winded being boiled twice and in an old cock boiled in the broth and drunk helpeth the pains and obstructions of the liver and spleen and the stone in the kidneys the juice boiled with honey and dropped into the corner of the eyes cleareth the sight by consuming any film or cloud beginning to dim it and also consumeth the canker growing therein. They are much commended for being eaten before meat or keep one from surfiting as also from being drunk with too much wine and quickly make a drunken man sober for as they say there is such an antipathy or enmity between the vine and colwort that the one will die where the other groweth. Decoction of colworts taketh away pains and aches and allayeth the swellings of swollen or gouty legs and knees, wherein many gross and watery humors are fallen. The place being bathed thereeth warm. It helpeth also old and filthy sores being bathed therewith and healeth all small scabs, pushes, and wheels that breaketh out the skin. The ashes of colwort stock mixed with the old hog's grease are very effectual to anoint the sides of those that had long pains therein or any other place pained with melancholy and windy humors. Cabbages are extremely windy whether you take them as meat or as medicine, but colwort flowers are something more tolerable and the wholesomer food of the two. The moon challengeth the dominion of the herb. So that was from Culpepper's Complete Herbal. I found a great recipe I'm sharing on my resource list that I've shared on my Facebook page and other places for resources for responding to COVID-19 protocols and resources. And there's a great recipe from Chanchal Cabrera on using and making cabbage into a poultice. So I'm thinking of kitchen remedies here and ways that we can connect to our ancestors as Mary suggested and be using foods that heal. Ways to use cabbage are in cabbage soups, making sauerkraut, which is very, very simple, and making cabbage rolls. And if you have any cabbage recipes to share, do please share them with me at my show notes on my website, nicoletelks.com podcast, or you can leave me a message on the podcast site. And just quickly to mention what a cabbage poultice actually is, is I have a recipe for both an onion poultice and a cabbage poultice. A poultice is a soft moistened mass of plant material you would apply topically to an area. So in the case of responding to a chest condition like congestion and coughing, you could put a mix even of cabbage and onion that you lay on and let it sit there and 
do its thing for 20 to 30 minutes at a time and then it gets messy because you're going to want to do both sides both front of your chest and the back of your chest and just switch these out and you can even wrap plastic around your long area it's messy it's weird but it works and i've left you with some recipes in summary try using cabbage both as a food internally and this as mary was mentioning will connect you to ancestral foods it's very cheap it's common it's easy to grow and it will offer a remedy for chest congestion and coughing please remember that these remedies are suggestions and guidance but do not take the place of medical intervention if you are sick with something like covid19 these are home remedies that have been tried and true for thousands of years but in the case of a novel virus we do not know what is going to be the best way to deal with it this just may help you with some of the symptoms you're experiencing if you're stuck at home and don't have another option so good luck i wish you the best of health thanks so much for joining me today and my next guest will be dr will morris and here is a little bit from him the four stages are i make it five prevention is the fifth one prevention then the surface, then the organs, then the blood, where there can be petechiae bleeding out, can be blood in the sputum, blowing the nose, there can be blood, can be blood in the urine, blood in the stool. All those places where blood takes place, uh, we have to use those agents which clear blood, heat, and stop bleeding. The basic goal is to stop the bleeding. Or it goes to the nervous system where there can be delirium or, or even just dizziness and a lack of clarity, muzzy-headedness uh, can be included in, in that. And here's another snippet. Part of that awakening may be that people will begin to see that um, patented molecular medicine and surgical procedures as medicine is actually not the only form of medicine because there are still many people in the world that have this belief. And it's actually an a logical error to not include the entirety of potential medicinal acts such as exercise diet a relationship with the plant world these types of things are critical to uh, to the well-being of the individual so back to the if you follow my podcast you'll get first looks at some of the newest things i'm putting up and there will be more to come especially this week at the time of the recording while the entire world is experiencing a global quarantine. Be well. And if you like what you're hearing, you can always support me at my Wild Spirit Podcast Patreon account. Thank you so much.